Today is Wednesday, February 19, 2020. On this day in 1847, the first relief party began the arduous rescue of the Donner Party, who'd been snowbound beyond the Sierra Nevada mountains the entire winter. Many of those who survived did so by eating the dead, some of whom died under suspicious circumstances. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Carter Roy. You may recognize Carter from other ParCast favorites, including a few shows we've hosted together. Hi, everyone. As always, it's great to be working with you, Vanessa. I have a passion for crime stories, and actually, I just launched a brand new true crime show, Killer Knowledge. Every week, two players go head-to-head in trivia. Like all the best game shows, the audience can play along, testing your own true crime knowledge. I joined Carter for an episode myself, and we had a fantastic time. I even learned a few new facts. But today, Carter's here to discuss some historical aspects of the Donner Party, while I'll cover the narrative. I'm thrilled to dive into the Donner Party. Controversial crimes like this fascinate me. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode contains discussions of cannibalism. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Now, let's go back to the evening of February 19, 1847, as the relief party crosses Truckee Lake. Captain Reason P. Tucker marched resolutely over the ice. Beside him, the six members of his group were silent. They had traveled for 14 days, and four of their initial party had turned back due to fatigue. Those that remained were discouraged, but continued nevertheless. As far as they knew, there were 65 settlers in need of rescue just beyond the water. If only they could find them. As the sun set, the relief party reached the eastern end of the lake. They saw no cabins, only dark lumps scattered about in the snow. Bodies, many only half buried, all skeletal. The men called out to the desolate icy landscape. A moment passed, then something stirred. A woman rose up from a hole in the snow. Daniel Rhodes approached the woman as other figures emerged from beneath the frost. As they drew closer, the men realized that the cabins had been completely submerged in the snowbanks. When the first woman spoke to them, her voice was hollow from disuse and starvation. She asked, Are you men from California or do you come from heaven? This woman was Lavina Murphy, a widow who had joined the party with her family of 13 in May of the previous year. By this point, that family had dwindled severely. Levina's 16-year-old son, John, had died 21 days earlier. Her infant granddaughter, Catherine, would die a day after the relief party arrived. Her other son, 12-year-old Lemuel Murphy, had left two months earlier with a party searching for help. Captain Tucker told her that her son had made it to California, along with all the others. This was a lie, one the relief party repeatedly told the eager family members. 
In truth, of the 15 men and women who set off to get help, only seven survived. Lemuel Murphy had died of hypothermia the day after Christmas. Then his body was cooked and eaten by the others. 33 years later, historian Charles McGlashan surmised, had the dreadful truth been told, not one of all this company would ever have had courage to attempt the dangerous journey. Reason P. Tucker made his way to the other cabins, checking within to see the state of the survivors. The results were grim. Most of the living were barely strong enough to stand, and some were on death's door. Tucker and his men spent the night distributing modest quantities of food to the emaciated migrants. The next day, three of the rescuers, Reason Tucker, John Rhodes, and R.S. Mutri, traveled to the northeast to another small encampment by Alder Creek. Eliza Donner recalled, I did not see anyone coming that morning, but I remember that suddenly there was an unusual stir and excitement in the camp. Three strangers were there, and one was talking with my father. Her father, George Donner, was in a sorry state. His arm was black with gangrene from an infected injury on his hand. He wasn't going anywhere. His wife, Tamson, despite being relatively healthy, would not leave his side. But they could not pass up the opportunity to send at least some of their children to safety. In the end, three of the seven Donner children went with the men. The rest would have to wait for another relief party. Even for those left to wait, it seemed like the arrival of Captain Reason Tucker and his men would be the end of their suffering. But there were still many horrors on the horizon for the Donner Party, which made their winter months seem tame by comparison. Up next, we'll discuss the historical details surrounding the Donner Party and how they escaped their icy fate. Now, back to the story. On February 19, 1847, the first relief party reached the Donner Party and began the arduous process of rescuing them from their snowbound camp. It's worth noting that accounts vary on the exact date of the first relief's arrival. Accounts written closer to the actual event, such as Charles McGlashan's book, say they arrived on the 19th, while some more contemporary accounts say they crossed the lake a day earlier. However, the diary of the first relief party, kept by Captain Tucker, places the group on the summit on February 18th, seeming to confirm the former date. My guest host, Carter, is here to discuss the history surrounding the Donner Party's infamous trek and how it went so horribly wrong. Thanks, Vanessa. When the Donner-Reed Party set out for California in the summer of 1846, it was brimming with optimism. These were families who left their homes in Missouri seeking religious freedom, economic opportunities, and cheap land to build a farm. But the Donner Party's plan was built on a misguided foundation. The map they used to guide their way was the Emigrant's Guide to Oregon and California, written by Lansford Hastings, an explorer who never actually traveled the route he endorsed as the quickest path to California. Hastings' misinformation put the Donner Party behind schedule. Eventually, 
they found themselves snowbound by Truckee Lake on the wrong side of the Sierra Nevada mountain range. The journey put profound amounts of stress on everyone involved, leading to fights, theft, and a number of murders. James Reed, one of the original leaders of the group, was exiled early on for stabbing a teamster to death, and William Foster would later kill two of their Native American guides for food. But the most gruesome crime committed during this whole event may not have happened until mid-March 1847. The third relief party left only four individuals alive, George and Tamsin Donner, Levina Murphy, and an unpopular German migrant named Louis Kiesberg. By the time the next rescue party reached the camps, only Kiesberg remained. George Donner likely died of the gangrene that infected his arm, but Tamsin and Levina Murphy's deaths were far more suspicious. All three had been at least partially eaten by Kiesberg, who was found with some of the Donner money on his person. He claimed to be saving it for George Donner's surviving children. When he reached California, Kiesberg was accused of six murders, but no charges were ever officially brought, and he successfully sued his accusers for slander, receiving one dollar of damages. But the story lived on. The Donner Party story would go down in history for the lurid details, namely the cannibalism. Today, this horrifying story of starvation has been reduced to a punchline. History has a way of turning horrific experiences into humor. But maybe if you ever find yourself driving from Nevada to California in the dead of winter, you should check to make sure your car won't run out of gas. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Carter, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my new podcast, Killer Knowledge, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the Donner Party, be sure to listen to the ParCast original, Survival, where we covered their arduous journey in a three-episode series. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Aaron Larson, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 